Hi, thanks for listening. This is our Dashless Living with Leah Jean. I um, started this podcast kind of to help myself kind of process my own journey um, and figured in doing so it may help others. Um, I am doing this unedited. I figured I would do it on my commute to work. Uh, to alleviate some of the anxiety of doing something like this. I figured if I kind of spoke to my phone as if somebody was in my car, uh, just speaking to a friend, that it it might help uh, ease the burden a little for me. Uh, So today I want to talk about uh, self-abandonment and how that will always uh, lead to some type of crisis in our lives. Um... And uh, typically, uh, self-abandonment is what leads us into uh, most levels of failure. And how sometimes, though, uh, if you look at it right, how you can use the self-abandonment and also the failure in your life to kind of reevaluate and see what parts of you you are neglecting. Um, What parts in your business are you neglecting? What parts of your family life are you neglecting? Um, Typically, when there's a lot of crisis going on, it means it equals neglect somewhere on some level of some kind. So, uh, interesting enough, I was... Some of us have grown up in environments where we learn to self-abandon quite a bit to survive. Um, Or we... We took on the belief that other people's needs were more important than our own. Uh, this this is a lot of women. A lot of women, we carry this martyr-type complex where uh, everybody else's needs outside of us. To be a good girl, it means that we're meeting everybody else's needs and we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, basically, the more we neglect ourselves, the more of a good girl we are, right? I mean crazy enough we we have like kind of learned this like to be a good girl it means you have to uh kind of self-abandon yourself um and so uh, and this means that we're really good right the 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 gooder you are the more you self-abandon for everybody else the more you sacrifice for everybody else and I want to talk about how that can actually lead to really severe toxic codependency uh, that has uh, been a part of my life's um, kind of journey of needing to kind of break uh, break away from. Um, interesting enough, I kind of have I, I kind of have two battles going on in my life, and that is the good girl complex. But also, I carry quite a bit of masculine uh, energy, if you will. What do I mean by masculine energy? Uh, is the sense that I have a kind of, um, you know, sometimes I do have, uh, you know, more of a kind of um, leadership, maybe mentality or entrepreneurship. Uh, that a lot of women uh, don't give themselves permission to step into. But for whatever reason, I kind of was blessed early on to kind of have the courage to create my own business at a fairly young age. So, uh, But with that, you are stepping more into a masculine energy. I also uh, did go through a pretty horrific divorce. And so I was kind of forced into taking a lot of masculine uh, responsibility that, you know, traditionally we may have relied on a man for. Um, But I want to talk about how we get all this like crazy programming being a a girl um, and how sometimes that can mess us up. So a lot of times we get the message that, you know, stay small for everybody else to feel good or for the men to feel good. Women need to stay small, right? We need to shrink so the man can feel like a man. And Um, this is kind of a subconscious, uh, message. And it also is this message of, we give women that you can't survive without a man. So a lot of the times when I first left my marriage, I almost felt like I was Frosty the Snowman, like, and I just like couldn't, 
even though he really wasn't meeting my needs, but just the fact that I couldn't say I was married and I had a husband anymore, it made me feel like I like melted like a frosty the snowman or something, that I couldn't hold myself up without this other person. So I kind of uh, did a lot of work. I really wanted to make sure that I was somebody who uh, would be able to feel more confident standing in my own power and not needing to necessarily uh, rely on somebody else to hold me up to feel uh, whole. And so um, it did take a big, big undertaking and I'm still not 100% there yet. There are still big parts of me that have a lot of dependency issues And, you know, I might have that the rest of my life. And part of that is accepting that part in me and um, and kind of not being ashamed of that. But I want to talk today about um, a lot of the times why we create uh, a lot of crisis in our life subconsciously. And again, it does go to neglect. It it typically means that we're neglecting some part of ourselves. And a lot of times it's that we neglected a part of ourselves in childhood. This goes way back. And so I think you know, a big crisis that really happens in our life, a lot of times it's kind of to go back and get that parts of us that we rejected. Um, So, you know, a lot of us rejected parts of ourselves, um, you know, that brought us shame. Maybe we didn't feel a hundred percent accepted by um, maybe our family of origin, or maybe there was a particular caretaker that we did not feel a hundred percent approved of us. Um, And so we kind of rejected ourselves uh, at that point. And we took on the message that there's something wrong with us or we're defective. Um, Maybe we were in school and they gave us the label of having a learning disability, or maybe we were told that there was something physically wrong with us. Like I was diagnosed with asthma at a young age, so I was told I was defective. So we take this message of we're defective, we're inadequate, and it kind of uh, sets us up for a lot of uh, self-hate and um, self-abandonment later on in life. And so uh, if we learned to that, you know, we had this learning disability, then we kind of got the message that other people can, you know, other people can only have the nice things in this world. So only people that went to, to really nice colleges can have what you're uh, wanting in life. And so it's not until we kind of question all of that and kind of go back. And so I think crisis can be really used actually to go back and look at the parts of you that you have rejected or abandoned and um, kind of go back and get it back for yourself. And some of us didn't get our needs met 100% in a certain area uh, from our original caretakers. This is not to shame mom and dad. This is not to say our parents didn't do a good job. A lot of times they themselves didn't get it from their own parents and they passed that wounding on to us and they had us put that little jacket on is, is, you know, kind of our own. And it's not until you say, I'm going to take off the jacket that's been being passed down from generations here, from our grandparents' generation to our parents to now us. And we have a choice. Do we want to keep the jacket on or do we want to take it off? And there's a lot of toxic shame and guilt that gets passed down from generation to generation. And it really isn't until we ourselves want to do the work to kind of untangle some of that. Um, so I do think crisis can be kind of used to uh, reinvent the wheel, kind of. Um, now, a lot of us, uh, I want to talk about, too, that a lot of us in our original environment uh, may have felt powerless. Uh, maybe we had a very dominant um, dominant. Uh, caretaker or maybe we had maybe we were the youngest in a family and so uh, sometimes we may have felt ganged up on or maybe we didn't feel 
good enough or we felt compared. I mean, that's a big one, right? Felt compared to another sibling or we felt compared um, to other children. Yeah, you know, so if we, we felt this, then obviously we ourselves are, again, going to feel this hidden shame, if you will, of that, you know, we're not good enough and we're not worthy. And these are all subconscious messages that kind of get passed down. And so maybe we had the feeling of like, maybe we felt our parents' pain too. There are some of us that were highly empathetic as children and we felt our parents' pain and we wanted to kind of fix it for them and and we couldn't. Maybe we had a parent that was alcoholic or I don't know, whatever people have in their own families, everybody's got their own story. And we felt powerless to that situation. Well, if we felt powerless when we were children, nine times out of 10, we're going to create a feeling of powerlessness in our life again, as we get older as an adult. So we'll create uh, situations repeatedly again and again, where we felt powerless because we haven't resolved that original wounding of feeling powerless when we were children or inadequate when we were children. So we'll kind of recreate it. We'll kind of manifest it, actually. We'll kind of manifest this crisis to do so. Uh, So interesting enough, about five years ago, I went through a pretty horrific um, divorce. Um, I went through a marriage that really took a lot from me. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons in that marriage and it's kind of where I really started to learn my own dysfunction of that a I was uh, in that marriage I kind of took on a lot of the masculine responsibility um so I I took on too much of the 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 uh, financial uh, decision making I kind of took on too much of the taking care and um, I, I really you know paid so much attention to my partner's vision for what he wanted and I kind of neglected what I wanted I didn't ask myself what do I want instead I was so focused on making my husband um, happy and satisfied and little to you know for whatever reason I could never satisfy him Um, and of course this made me feel it kind of triggered the original wounding in me of you know yeah like confirming that original belief I'm not lovable I'm not worthy because I couldn't get this partner to to see me love me hear me or uh to to see me and see my needs but at the same token I really didn't know how to ask them and then I would get kind of mad at him for him not really even hearing my needs right and so we go through these relationships though is God's kind of way of breaking us open to heal the original trauma or the original tape that we took on as children and so sometimes we have a parent that may have felt a little distant to us or rejecting or maybe we felt a critical maybe we had a parent that we felt was critical of us and we took on this belief that we were bad uh and we we, we took on this like, okay, I can't get this person to love me. And we kind of reenacted that uh, through other relationships. And so I want to say today that, that you can kind of go back and reparent yourself and relove yourself. Um, you know, we have these, these hidden wounds and, you know, we can really go back and reparent and fix that if you're open to it. Uh, But you really do have to look at where you're neglecting and you have to use a lot of mirroring work to kind of see where the brokenness started, where you're kind of repeating that same dysfunction or that same story to kind of change the story. Um, And sometimes we had perceived rejection from our parents. Maybe our parents really weren't rejecting us, but they had to go on a business trip and they were busy and they were balancing five different things. And, you know, but when we're little children, we don't really understand that. We just think, hey, they're not seeing me here. And so we take in this, 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 this uh, download of, of that they didn't love us when sometimes that may not be accurate. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Sometimes there are parents that, that don't love their children. Um, and that's something that we don't talk about, you know. 
but it's, uh, it can be, it can happen. Um, now I want to talk about, you know, our upper limit and, there's a book I read when I got out of my marriage. It kind of changed my life, and I highly encourage anybody to read it um, because it, it is kind of the catalyst that has brought me to kind of uh, help me to really dive in for my own work and own sense of of trying to repair my own life and, and look at things differently. Um, so I did uh, read this book, and I talked a lot about your upper limit. And the upper limit is kind of like we'll allow ourselves to be happy to a certain extent before we will destroy it or we'll allow ourselves to get to a certain level of success before we'll destroy it because our old programming is holding us back and so if we did not feel lovable then we're not going to let ourselves go past that upper limit and so addressing our upper limit issues is kind of what we need to do as entrepreneurs if you're in business or if you're wanting to take your relationship to the next level or if you are wanting to take your own life to the next level you kind of have to address all of your um upper limit issues Uh, kind of like a snake shedding its skin you kind of have to to do that to kind of step into that new version of yourself Um, Now, I want to talk about how many of us, uh, because we did not get our, we we felt that we are one of our caretakers or sometimes uh, we didn't feel our needs were being heard or we didn't feel our needs were being received, then we kind of cut off that that part of ourselves of even asking for help or we felt asking for help meant we were weak in some way. So it triggered this anger in us actually to even need somebody. So we almost got mad at ourselves for even being vulnerable enough to need somebody else. And this is rampant, I think, in men. Um, And it's interesting. I think God kind of allowed me to walk through some of the like after going through a divorce, I was kind of pushed into a lot of masculine role that society has to face, right? Because I didn't have a partner for quite a few years here. And I've been forced into this masculine role. And in a way, I'm kind of happy about that because I really have realized, wow, we've put so much expectations on men that are so not fair. And I've kind of Uh, been able to tap in a little bit to uh, how men must feel because there's a lot of expectations for men to not show any vulnerability or to not need anybody and they're supposed to always be the one that has it all together and God we're setting them up for such feelings of inadequacy so first of all I want to address that but going back to women you know women a lot of us kind of have done that too, where we've rejected even needing. And especially if we've gotten hurt and wounded by men, uh, then our brain really has a hard time even trusting men and even allowing men to be there for us. So we'll kind of reject love. And the best way to do that is using anger. So a lot of times our anger is keeping us safe, right? So we'll use meanness or we'll use a fight or we'll use whatever it takes to kind of avoid love. So this is a lot of people who have avoidant issues to intimacy. They will use anger um, to kind of create a divide. Uh, But this is actually interesting enough because they do not trust love because love was not trusting enough when we were younger. Uh, We didn't trust. We we got betrayed. Maybe we got betrayed by a sibling. Maybe we got uh, put down by a sibling. Uh, Maybe we got betrayed from a parent or maybe we felt rejected from a parent. So a number of things can happen. Uh, Maybe we got rejected from kids at school. A lot of things can happen for us to decide to not let love in. Uh, Luckily for me, I do think for most of my life, I was able to let love in. I did go through the last four or five years. I've had a really hard time uh, receiving love and letting love in. I've kind of been allergic to it a little bit myself, uh, partly because I... I did have so many relationships where there was a lot of betrayal and um, a lot of uh, uh, backstabbing. Uh, my 
my marriage kind of spiraled that to waken me up to some of that stuff that was dysfunctional, but I had a lot of betrayal in my marriage as well. And so I've had to deal with a lot of betrayal uh, wounds that my brain still doesn't really feel safe in relationships. And still to this day, it's really hard for me, uh, sadly, uh, to have close relationships with people. I do kind of like, I'll let myself get close and then I kind of push people away and then I'll let them get close. And it's hard for me. I I have a really hard time trusting. I am working on it daily. Um, and now I am about to do some EDMR therapy. That's like next thing that I'm going to be working on, which is supposed to help your brain, uh, with post-traumatic stress. Uh, disorder. And I I just think that that's the biggest thing. Most of us are carrying around complex PTSD and we still have a lot of flight flight that we don't even know. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about of why we create crisis is a lot of us were blamed in childhood or we felt or we felt that uh, things were our fault. And so if we felt things were our fault, then we'll kind of self punish ourselves when we become adults. We won't allow ourselves to have the love that we deserve or the career that we deserve, or whatever, we'll stay working in a job that we hate, because in a way, it's kind of like we're punishing ourselves, um, because we need to stay in that self-punishment cycle, because we're used to that, we're used to being in the pain, and oddly enough, we actually bond with other people uh, that kind of are in that same misery, right, so it's kind of like we bond with the people that are staying in that self-punishment, like, you know, grind, if you will, of lack and not meeting your needs. And so it's really, it's interesting. There's two worlds going on. I really do believe there's people who have mastered meeting their needs. And those are probably the people that are living, you know, the top 10% income earners. They have mastered learning to meet their needs in a lot of ways. Not to say all of them. There's a lot of rich wives I know that did not, they're not getting their needs met. (laughs) You know, they may be financially, but they are not emotionally. Um, you know, same thing. But what I am saying is that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have learned to, there's people that have, have somehow got the concept of how to meet your needs fully and others that don't. And so I want to use the crisis as our way to examine the 30% like maybe we're getting our needs met like 70% of the time. We've got the good job. We've got the house. We've got the car. We've got the dog. Maybe we have the kids. Maybe we have the wife, the family, what have you. Um, But maybe we're missing a big 30% or maybe we're missing some old stuff that we didn't get. Like maybe we, we felt like we got married young. We didn't get to to do some of the things that we wanted to do. And so it's like, you can always go back. And that's what I want to give people is that you can always go back and go back and grab that thing that you didn't get when you were a kid. And you can always go back and get that dream that you wanted when you were five or six years old and not forget it and make it happen in your reality today. And it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be 70 years old and you can still make this happen for your life. Um, and I think it's important. Um, the other thing I think that we'll, we'll do a lot of times is when we're not ready for success, we'll destroy it too. So maybe we're being called, like, I know for me, I've always been behind the camera and I know for my career in the next few years, I have felt that, you know, kind of like my inner being is kind of known that I'm going to have to do a lot more behind a camera or maybe a little bit more, you know, speaking to people. And that part of me is really afraid. That part is kind of like, that's too much vulnerability for me. I'm not used to that. And so I sabotaged a lot because it's kind of like my higher purpose kind of knows what I'm supposed to do, but it scares me. It's kind of like the stuff that you feel that God might be calling you to do is bigger than what you're comfortable with. So a lot of times we'll sabotage as well for that reason. Um, obviously the fail, the uh, fear of failing is a major reason why we sabotage. But a lot of the times we also are going to sabotage because we are used to staying in the muck. A lot of women, you know, they believe that they are bad. So they will attract men that will tell them that they are bad. I believe that that was my original thing. I was in a marriage that, God, I was always told how bad I was. Um, I, I, I don't think, um, you know... And looking back, I probably told him that that same thing. We both were verbally abusive to each other because we both really 
just couldn't get each other to meet each other's needs in the way that we needed and wanted and whenever we resented each other for it. Um, but going back to it, it, it looks like to me that, um, you know, we'll kind of reject um, that part that we need to meet in ourselves. So it's just to say, you know, again, whenever you're creating some type of crisis, just look at the places that you're neglecting and it's pretty easy to figure out or the places that you let go of yourself and um, kind of embrace that and, and be love, be nice to yourself. And it's not to say not to be thankful or grateful for the relationships that you're in. A lot of them are very great and they, they have amazing aspects, but it is to say, you know, what's the part that you guys could all, like you could kind of work on uh, to bring things more fully uh, well-rounded. So maybe, um, and maybe that is you being the one to do it first. So maybe you're feeling like you're lacking adventure in your relationship. And, uh, you know, maybe you've got this, this spouse that's really like routine and maybe they're like, you know, really like X, Y, and Z, we're going to do this and this and this today. And so maybe you're going to bring that flavor of adventure in and, um, and that's kind of a, a cool, cool thing. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of embracing that, um, and, and being okay with, adding those elements that you feel are missing and, and having a conversation with yourself and it's getting real with yourself what are your needs and a lot of us don't do that we don't even we're not even aware we're not even used to asking ourselves you know what part of this do we need what parts in our own lives do we need to meet more so anyway i hope this helps i'll talk to you later bye Hi, this is Audacious Living with Leah Jean. I wanted to talk today about self-abandonment and when we neglect ourselves um, and others or our business or um, what have you, um, or parts of our business or parts of our relationship or parts of the relationship with ourselves, how much that is always going to lead to crisis. Uh, same thing with if a family is neglecting a family member or an issue that needs to be addressed, there's going to be some type of crisis. So crisis is always used. It's kind of like a symptom, um, if, you, if you will, to kind of examine what are we neglecting or what have we neglected and what have we self-abandoned within ourselves. Now, a lot of us wonder where did self-abandonment originate and it actually um, is kind of learned behavior from uh, childhood and uh, for many of us. Uh, many of us learned, of, you know, a long time ago to self-abandon uh, for other people. And so, especially being, you know, raised as a, uh, as a little girl in America, um, a lot of times little girls have gotten the message to be a good girl, it means um, to give up your needs. And the more you give up your needs and please everybody else, um, you know, the better of a girl you're, you're, you are, you're going to get the gold star. <laughs> and so we kind of train girls to self-neglect themselves early on and call that a badge of honor. Um, now the, um, interesting enough, um, you know, as we, get older, um, you know, this can turn into an addiction of people pleasing and codependency uh, that turns pretty toxic on us. So that, you know, original, just a uh, nice girl mentality kind of turns on us as we get older. And so I want to talk about that today. And I want to talk about how, um, you know, really, it does take a lot of going back to kind of um, our early, early development and kind of the kind of speaking to that younger part of ourselves and kind of go back and get the parts that, you know, we kind of missed. Um, so interesting enough, I, I had a quite a few of um, pretty, pretty messed up relationships that were pretty toxic for me to kind of get the message to start 
uh, caring about me. Um, so it's kind of like I went through these relationships where I was used a lot, um, taken advantage of, and my vulnerabilities were used against me. And um, so, you know, I couldn't understand why this kept happening to me until I kind of got the message is that I had no concept of how to meet my own needs and I had no concept of putting me first. Um, and so these, the universe, God, um, will always bring kind of the, the life situation to you for the lesson that you need to learn to make a better version of yourself. And so sometimes it does mean that we have to go through these difficult, toxic relationships to truly start to uh, change the way we relate to ourselves. Uh, not so much to others, but more how we are relating to ourselves. And the more we relate to ourselves differently, then others are going to reflect that back to us and they will, they will then, uh, you know, dance with us differently. So in a sense, us changing ourselves will reflect backwards, outwards, and hopefully people will change uh, how they are relating to us. Um, now, a lot of the times, of course, when we go through this journey, uh, the people that are used to kind of uh, using your kindness against you, they're not going to like it when you finally start putting some of those boundaries in place and saying, uh, we're doing this differently. I'm starting to take care of me now, or I'm putting me number one, and I'm not putting anybody else number one. And it's it takes actually a lot of work, and it makes us feel that we're we're almost betraying other people. So it kind of, it's weird. It's like we're working on loving ourselves, but it creates a lot of toxic guilt because it feels like we're hurting other people in doing the self-love work that we kind of need to do. Um, so I just want to give every woman permission to kind of embrace that and kind of beware of that when you're going through this journey of learning self-respect um, back to self and and bringing love back to yourself. So uh, this last year I did get into Tai Chi and I, I really uh, started to love the concept because, you know, so much of us, you know, we pour energy out, we work, we serve. I mean, most of us are in service type atmospheres where we're pouring so much into other people's needs and we're self-abandoning almost, you know, on every level, um, you know, kind of repeatedly. And so the the Tai Chi, uh, the whole concept is actually to bring energy back to self. And, you know, I couldn't, I, you know, I would hear counselors tell me that, yeah, you're not valuing yourself, or you're not respecting. I couldn't understand, well, how do I how do I find that balance? And so Tai Chi for me really did help kind of get back to that, um, yeah, centered place of, you know, getting your, your um, you know, putting the energy back to you. And, you know, I really do believe that it's important that we teach women and men how to meet their own needs. Um, because I think that that is something that we don't really learn in childhood and nobody really talks about because we kind of aren't given uh, emotional tools a lot of times in childhood and when, when we're younger. I'm, you know, I, I think schools are starting to finally catch on that we're missing that piece to society. And um, I think it's really important but, you know, yeah, it's important that we learn at a young age to, to do that. And, um, and if you haven't, then it's, it's, you know, it's always your chance to go back to do it now. But it went, again, I wanted to go back to neglect and, um, you know, what happens, you know, when we're neglecting and why do we abandon ourselves? I think the biggest reason for me anyway of why I abandon self is a lot of times I actually feel like I'm going to be hurting somebody else to meet my own needs. So, or if I do well in life, it's going to hurt somebody else. Uh, so I had a lot of guilt associated with success. Um, and I had a lot of feeling I would leave somebody behind. Uh, making money and, you know, becoming successful is no fun if you can't take the people that you love with you. And so for me, it was, it was very much, you know, um, it, I kind of felt a little guilty, you know, because, um, sometimes, you know, I was lucky. I did find, um, I, I kind of got into 
a business at kind of an early age. Uh, started uh, my small company. It's just a, a you know wedding company. Uh, pretty young, um, but I, um, which I'm very thankful for. But I didn't realize how much you know guilt. Actually, the more I built it and the bigger I got things that I actually started to have to deal with. I also had some guilt too because, not going to lie, after going through my divorce, I got kind of financially behind in my business. And so I started feeling guilty uh, kind of taking money, you know, for the next wedding if I still didn't have the old wedding paid for. And so I was dealing with a lot of toxic guilt and kind of a lot of overload. I felt very... Um, you know, at that time that I just couldn't do it all. And it made me give the message to my brain, you're inadequate, which is interesting because that was very much a belief I had when I was in childhood was I carried this this belief that I was inadequate. And so I want to talk about that too when we kind of carry all of these negative tapes of when we were younger of inadequacy or maybe we felt powerless when we were younger um, maybe we felt overpowered especially you know I was the youngest so a lot of the times I felt overpowered in my family I felt dominated over I felt kind of like my needs did not matter compared to others and um, I felt sometimes neglected misunderstood uh, misrepresented and so there was a lot of of um, you know things looking back that I kind of had to realize wow I'm recreating that in my reality today like that powerlessness I was recreating it um, and I do believe God will kind of keep having you create this feeling of powerlessness or inadequacy or this unworthiness because it's wanting you to go back to fix that original wound. So it really is kind of going back and digging deep and kind of saying, where did we learn this? And I definitely have avoidant issues to life. I kind of, I, I'm a, I love pleasure. So I like when things go well. I don't really love when things go wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I would much rather go on that 10 mile walk or have that glass of wine than sit and deal with like, you know, the negative, uh, taxes that are in front of me so it's it's easy for me to be like I'm going to put that to the side and a lot of times when people have gone through trauma you know we kind of stuff it away we can kind of compartmentalize it and put it over here and then that ends up building to a monster later and then we're back into the overwhelm and we're back into the, the to the dysfunction and we're back into the original story so the more you catch on to like oh I'm back in the original story I need to kind of shift this. I need to change my mindset. I need to kind of speak to that little girl in me. The more you can kind of come out of this stuff. Um, of course, it does take going to counseling and what have you. Um, and a lot of times, too, we learned avoidant issues because our own parents had some avoidant issues. And, you know, I think my, I look at my mom and it's funny, the older I get, the more I understand that, you know, as a child, sometimes we think that can be cold or they're being aloof, but really they're just avoiding situations that maybe they don't know how to handle. Uh, so their way of dealing with it is just to avoid the situation. And, you know, I've done that a lot in my whole, my whole entire life is I've kind of uh, rejected the parts of me that were, were not um, pleasing because I did grow up where there was like a lot of perfectionism and so we didn't really want to talk about the parts that were dysfunctional nobody really wants to talk that to talk about that part but the more I you know you go to any 12-step program or anything like that the first thing they're going to tell you is you know to embrace the imperfection and to kind of really get back into you know yeah you're not perfect and let's let's kind of embrace the parts that are dysfunctional inside of you so it's kind of like the shadow work or stepping into the shadow of your soul and kind of pulling that out and saying, wow, I'm going to kind of like, like look at that differently and look at it more loving and not so, so harsh where I have to reject it. So if we're rejecting part of ourselves, um, which so often we learn to do in childhood, then we're still rejecting ourselves as an adult, which will turn into self-abandonment. And it's so much easier for us to focus on somebody else 
instead of our own lives, which is also a form of self-abandonment. And that's what most codependents do. Most codependents are great at focusing on somebody else. In fact, there are, I really do believe this, there are some parents that'll actually create a child to somewhat be sick just for the fact that they will have something else to focus on outside of themselves. So it's kind of crazy um, how much we, some of us are, you know, love to self-abandon because we don't know how to actually uh, you know look at ourselves we don't know how to take care of ourselves we don't know how to do self-love we only know how to love outwards we only know how to so those are people that that really do not know how to receive and so what I mean by we don't know how to receive is means that we don't know how to receive love inward like we know how to give it out but we do not know how to accept it for ourselves and that is because typically the old tape was that you are unworthy and you are unlovable and it's not until you go back and you tell yourself wait that's a lie because if you were born here you were you were and so it's kind of sometimes we just had parents that you know weren't in tune to us or they were rejecting or or critical and um, or maybe they were absent or maybe it was perceived rejection a lot of times parents are still going on like a business trip and as a little child you don't understand and at that time you're in a vulnerable place but they're still leaving and so you take it as oh there's something wrong with me you know there's all sorts of reasons why a child will kind of develop this false belief that they're not lovable and they'll reject parts of themselves early on so I want to talk about how we can go back grab those parts of us and bring it forward. And so, you know, I like to say, what are you rejecting in your life? You know, what dreams have you given up on? Uh, what, what parts of you have you given up on and what parts are you missing in your life so that you can kind of tap into that and be a little bit more loving to yourself and not so hard and critical because a lot of times you know the reason sometimes our parents are being critical of us is because they're actually being self-critical to themselves so they're projecting that criticism onto us because they have their own self-critical tape going on and then we take that as ours and it's kind of like you know take the jacket off and say wait a minute what if we all kind of had a little bit more compassion to where each other is at and what if we kind of talked about some of these things instead of running away from it and rejecting it um you know and I think that's the thing with me that um sometimes I think I can make my family feel uncomfortable about I've always been the type of person when there's a lot of dysfunction I kind of call it out like to put it on the table and I'm like what the heck what's going on here and I you know and a lot of my family likes to avoid they like to pretend everything's great and they like to have like you know we're the perfect family and you know it's great and all and sometimes we are that perfect family sometimes we are there's so much that's amazing about my family but there's a big chunk that's actually really dysfunctional and uh, nobody really wants to even address some of those things and so that's kind of what I want to go with on on today is just like you know look at yourself look at where you're rejecting and uh, where you're self-abandoning, where you're self-neglecting, and how can you meet your own needs today? So, you know, if you felt that you, you didn't do that, like, class that you wanted to do when you were in fifth grade, then you know what? If you're 35 years old today and you just feel like you've got three kids and, you know, you've got a husband and you're neglecting yourself, then go take that class that you wanted to take in fifth grade. It's not too late. If you give an hour a week to you, dedicate it. It's, it's perfect, you know, to five minutes of your day. Just give it to, back to yourself because I got to tell you, you're going to actually help everyone around you and you're going to help mirror, help other people. You're going to give other people the permission to do that for themselves as well. So you're helping yourself, you're helping other people, the more you take care of yourself. All right, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is a podcast uh, I started called Audacious Living. I actually am doing it while I'm driving. I figured sometimes it's easier to kind of speak to this to take some of the anxiety away as if you were in my car with me. So here we go. It's kind of unedited. I don't even know if anybody's going to care what I have to say, but I just felt like the last few years I've learned some things about myself and felt like I should at least kind of talk about it. Um, so I want to talk about how 
a lot of times our brains will kind of create crisis or our reality will create crisis or uh, sometimes crisis happens in our life and how we can actually use it as a catalyst to bring a lot of healthy change in our life and we can use it uh, to our benefit um, in some pretty powerful ways. So um, a few years ago, I went through a pretty horrific divorce. Um, most people know that are close to me know my story. Um, and I learned some really valuable lessons in that. I learned some of my own stuff that, you know, I really didn't want to look at, didn't even know was there. Uh, first of all, uh, some dysfunction that was in my my own life and also within my family um, and uh, within there. So I, I do believe that, you know, every person uh, can teach you good and bad. And it's kind of taking on the parts of that person that you don't want to uh, have in your life. So you can learn just as much on that side of it um, that, okay, that's dysfunction that I do not want in my life. Um, and so sometimes we're brought into relationships or families to realize what we don't want, but we can also take the parts of that family that we really did admire. There's so much about my ex-husband's, uh, family that I really valued and admired and fell in love with. And that was what I fell in love with from the beginning with them. And so it's not to dismiss everything about them, but it is to say the parts that, uh, did show up for me that didn't sit well with me. Um, and so of what I wouldn't want to carry on in my own family if I have one one day, if I choose to. Uh, I personally have chosen the last few years to develop myself. I have chosen deliberately to not be in a relationship, uh, partly because I still feel like I am working on some of the unresolved issues I have. I did get wounded a lot by men, so I feel at this point it would be irresponsible of me to get in a relationship until I've dealt with some of the um, subconscious, uh, you know, feelings I have um, with not feeling 100% safe with men. So I am working with that. I'm working on that. I do therapy, and I'm first to say, women, if you have anger towards men, you have no right being in a relationship with them, with one, and you should do the, be doing the work every single day to kind of resolve that so that when you do get into a relationship, you can relate to this person a lot healthier. Um, but uh, going back to what I was originally talking about, which is uh, kind of like a crisis and how it relates to personal life and business, um, when I got out of my divorce, I read this book called The Big Leap, and I swear that book has changed my life, and it really is kind of what really forced me into dig deep into therapy, because I did realize this pattern within me is that I would only allow myself to get to a certain level of success before I would sabotage it. Um, and I didn't know why I would do this. Um, and it kind of was becoming this like repeated dysfunction um, that I knew there was a pattern that was not working well in my life. And I didn't know why. And I started to dig deep and I brought myself into uh, lots of therapy and uh, dealing. I, I try to do coaching when I can. But basically, uh, the book, it talks about uh, our upper limit and how we have to kind of shed the old version of ourselves before we can step into the new version of ourselves. So it's kind of like a snake needing to shed its skin. And in order to kind of become the new version, we have to deal with all the old programming and all of the old negative tapes that we carry. So a lot of times as children, we took on the belief that maybe we were inadequate. Uh, maybe we took on the message that we were not worthy. Maybe we took the message that we weren't good enough, lovable. Um, or maybe we felt that we didn't quite fit in. Um, and nobody really talks about that. Sometimes you might not actually feel that some of the family beliefs, maybe they don't 100% resonate with you. And that can start at an early age. I mean, I remember there were certain things that my mom believed when I was younger that I remember then thinking that doesn't really feel right with me. Um, but you know, to, to, uh, 
to respect my mother, I kind of went along with it, right? And we all do this until we one day wake up and we say, who do we want to be? And this is part of individualating from our parents, which is a very healthy thing uh, to kind of question our parents' uh, way of thinking, not to say that their thinking is wrong, but it is to uh, identify our own identities and kind of becoming um, our own person. And that is the part of, uh, that's the beauty in this. It's kind of a gift that parents give us is to let us become who we are and celebrate that. Um, so going back to, um, some of the things that I, I do think, uh, the original stories and how they kind of start and how the crisis a lot of times in our life is because we are not getting our needs met in somewhere and typically the need that we're not getting actually we didn't get it in childhood either and so we have to now go back and reparent ourselves in the areas that were broken for us and this is again not to blame parents I think parents do the best job that they can and with the tools that they were given a lot of times they themselves were not given the best uh version of, you know, self-worth in their own lives. So it's kind of, you know, how do they give you the tools that they didn't get, you know? Um, so it is kind of, we have to look at that and kind of change that within our own lives. Um, so the, um, so the biggest thing is to look at where, what you are neglecting, uh, you know, if you're having a financial crisis in your business, what part of your business are you neglecting? That's typically the part that actually could be the biggest, uh, the biggest avenue to bringing the most positive change to your business if you kind of honed in on the place that you're neglecting. The same thing in your relationship. The part that you are neglecting, what part of that are you neglecting? And then the biggest one is the parts that we neglect in ourselves. So the relationship with ourselves is so important and we have to look at where, what are we neglecting? Are we neglecting sleep? Are we neglecting good nutrition? Are we neglecting healthy relationships? And are we, are we neglecting having healthy boundaries and, and what have you? So it's like, you have to look at all these things and say, what part of me is being neglected? Where am I neglecting in relationship? Where am I neglecting all over the place, right? And so that is a big reason why crisis happens, I believe. And uh, I think we can use it to kind of examine and and be like the, the um, you know, the, the mystery finder of our, of our own lives and kind of fix it within ourselves. I think we all have the answers in ourselves to kind of bring that stuff forward. Um, the other reason I think that we create crisis is like when we, like a lot of times there is something that is being neglected. Um, and so a lot of times in families, a lot of families can have a lot of the right things, the right elements that a family needs to have, like fortune. They may have, you know, really great entertainment. They might go on like really great adventures. Um, but maybe not all of the family members are getting their needs met. Maybe some are getting their needs met and others are being neglected. Um, and so that is where a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, hurt feelings can develop in a family. Uh, there can be a lot of feelings of betrayal because, uh, some people are getting their needs met one day and then the other person is feeling neglected. Or maybe one child is feeling loved and then the other is being neglected. So a lot of times this will, this will also create uh, this wounded part in ourselves that we kind of need to go back and examine. Um, and we do this in friendships and what have you. The other reason we create crisis is because we are used to it. Uh, we are nor we are, we've been in such survival mode and we've been in pain and that's the only thing that we know. And so if we have only known a life of struggle and pain, then guess what? We will actually create dysfunction to stay in that because that is what we're used to. We're comfortable there. We're not comfortable in the, uh, we're, we, we have no idea what it feels like to not worry. We have no idea what it feels like to not be in lack. We have no idea what it feels like to be, um, to have our needs met. And in fact, 
it actually makes us uncomfortable when we are getting our needs met because it makes us feel guilty. There's a part of us that makes us feel unworthy when we're getting our needs met. So we'll actually somewhat reject it. This is why you see a girl that's in a really healthy relationship and she rejects it. It's a lot of times because she didn't feel worthy of the love uh, to begin with. So she'll destroy it. Um, same thing with the man. Uh, there's so many men that cannot accept love. And these are people that can't receive love. Now, there was definitely a time in my life where I totally know, knew how to receive love. and um, But after being very hurt and wounded, my post-traumatic stress kind of, I had some repeated betrayal from close relationships in my life. Uh, some were family members, some were, um, you know, people that, uh, some were friends, some were, you know, just I had a lot of repeated betrayal. And when we have a lot of retreated, uh, uh, betrayal, then our brain will reject love to stay safe. So it'll kind of shut it off and say, oh, and so it'll actually use anger. Anger is the best tool to avoid love. So if you see somebody who has a lot of anger issues or they're, they're kind of, pushing you away, a lot of the times that's their own mechanism of actually trying to stay safe because love has not, uh, love has not felt safe to them for a very long time. So it's kind of uh, trying to stay in that for that person. It's really hard because sometimes you feel like you're getting um, beaten up by that person. And sometimes you do have to step away and let them deal with their own season of life. And let them kind of meet their own needs and their own time and kind of wait for that relationship to come back. And a lot of times it will. And a lot of times uh, people just need that time. And that is uh, sadly what post-traumatic stress does to people. And it's not necessarily that this person is trying to deliberately be mean to you. It's that that person has been so hurt and so wounded that they now, their defense is against letting love in. So they cannot receive love. Um, and that is the saddest thing. And obviously there will be a ton of crisis that creates in our lives when we cannot receive love. Now I do believe that a lot of women carry this masculine energy of not receiving love. They know how to give love out, but they do not know how to receive. And I also believe men, you know, really have a hard time with receiving. They are really great about meeting other people's needs, but they do not know how to receive their own. In fact, men have a hard time even just asking for directions, uh, let alone let love in. So it's, uh, it's something that we all actually don't talk enough about is actually letting love in. But when we let love in, that is letting God's abundance in to our life. And a lot of us are totally blocking that. We're not even allowing it to manifest because we're still in that survival flight flight uh, mode of I got to stay safe and we're trying to control our environment so much that we're missing out of the pie and I have been I mean this has been me the last I don't know four years and I'm slowly working I'm slowly putting my guard down and kind of doing this podcast in a way is kind of like I'm hoping it kind of helps me. The more vulnerable I get, the more open I hopefully will become to receive because I feel like, you know, it's it's talking about our feelings. And a lot of us don't want to talk about the messy parts. And a lot of us don't want to talk about the dark parts of us and, and the parts that are broken. And, you know, sometimes life will break you. And, you know, I definitely have gotten broken. And I'm... I'm working on repairing that, but I'm also working on it and looking at it on, wow, how can I take all of this that I have learned and gone through and make it into something beautiful? It doesn't have to be that old story any longer and bring it into the light. So I think that that's really cool and we allow these things to happen. And um, I think it's important that we look at too, you know, the, the parts in our relationships that aren't working and you know some of us have great great relationships where we're getting maybe like 70% of our needs met we're getting the the adventure we're getting money we're getting good sex even uh but maybe we're missing that vulnerability piece to it and that emotional piece and 
there's that missing 30%. Well, when we have that missing piece, we're going to create crisis, right? We're going to start fighting. We're going to, you know, whatever. And if we kind of look at it, like looking at every time there is something like that, what are we missing? And then vice versa, there's that couple that is, you know, not they they're meeting each other's needs emotionally but they're lacking the adventure they're lacking the good sex and they're lacking um you know they're lacking a whole other host of of things so it's tapping into that missing you know i guess what, that's what i want to make this podcast about is tapping in to the missing 70 uh, sorry the missing 30 percent of your life to meet your needs. So maybe you're getting the 70%. Maybe you've got your paycheck. You've got the job that's giving you the paycheck, but it doesn't really fulfill you. Um, or you got the relationship that you're in and you know, most of your needs are being met, but there's a big chunk that's not. So it's kind of like evaluating all of that. And not to say not to be thankful for where your life is today. I do believe in a lot of gratitude and I believe that it's great to embrace that part and say thank you for everything that you do have. But it is to say, like, how can you slowly shift into stepping into these areas that you have neglected in yourself? And a lot of times it's not uh, to blame the per- the other person that's in your relationship. It's not to blame your husband or your spouse or your business partner why you're not getting this certain need. It's to say, where did I neglect that in me? Where did I neglect the parts of me that were adventurous? Where did I neglect the parts of me that, you know, were sexual? Or where did I neglect the parts in me that were... Um, you know, loving or where's the parts of me that I neglected being vulnerable? Where did I stop? What, what day did I stop to, and decided to not be vulnerable anymore and speak my needs? And where did I learn to not speak my needs? A lot of times, you know, we learn that way back to not ask for your needs to be met or we met that we felt that that was weakness to ask for our needs. And when did that start and how do we fix it and turn it around? So it is asking yourself a lot of good questions and kind of doing that inner work. So I hope this helps somebody. I don't know if it makes sense. Hopefully I am kind of rambling. It is hot. So I'm going to finally turn on my air conditioning and I hope this serves somebody out there. Well, talk to you later. Bye-bye.